This political season is a good time to ask if you've ever blindly followed anybody. It's quite it's quite theatrical, unfortunately. Everything that is uh, transpiring. You see, one man who's quite boisterous and will tweet anything coming out of his mind, and there's a host of people who it's like uh, ex cathedra, like it's it's the word of God coming down from the mountain, and they will just blindly follow him. And then there's this other individual who's a little bit older, um, a wealthy millionaire who now decries the billionaires, and um, everything he says is nearly the Word of God to the, the other people on the other side of the aisle. And then our youth were, were willing to do this, to just blindly follow people. Maybe you've done it with a boyfriend, or, or you've gone into politics yourself. But as we get older, um, you start to get a little jaded. And you see people sin, and you go, I'm, I'm not going to follow them. I'm not going to follow them at all. And you, you've just been burned too many times and you become cynical of, of nearly everything. But don't, as this text is, is laid out before us, do not let that keep you from following God. Just blindly following God. So this is our, our main idea. You can the, the one in the bulletin's entirely wrong because it was upended entirely this morning at some uncouth hours, but um, so just entirely entrust yourselves to God is what Peter is laying here before us. So the first part, verses 18 through 20, he's talking about uh, servants and masters, but very quickly he goes beyond this, this, this idea of just servants and masters. So, but, so, and you, you'll see that they, they're suffering under the watchful eye of God. Verses 18 through 20. Verses 21 through 23. We are then to follow in his steps. That is, to follow in the steps of Christ. And then finally, in verses 24 through 25, we see this thankfulness. We see this eternal fruit of suffering. This eternal fruit of suffering. So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray. And ask God to be with us and to guide us and to direct us during this time. Gracious Father, what, what a delight it is to come and to sit under Your Word and to be washed in Your Word and to have Your Spirit coming down upon us, not only filling us, but reviving our souls. God, I pray and we, we plead with You, God, That you would let us have hearts that are naive, willfully, joyfully following after you through the footsteps of your Son. Heavenly Father, could you work that in this time? If you do not show up and make yourself known, this is a waste of time. God, we ask and we pray and we beg and we plead that you would make yourself known through your word as you have faithfully done since Moses began writing this glorious book that you have given to us. We pray all this in the glorious 
the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as you guys know, we've been preaching through First Peter. And Peter is writing to these churches that are being persecuted in, in Pontius and Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, and Asia. And in chapter 1, verse, verse 3, he's calling them to... He's blessing God that this, um, in His great mercy has given us new birth, this new life, into a living hope. And this has been done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this, it's this grace then that will be fully revealed to us at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see in verse 13 of chapter 1. And then he moves on in chapter 2, verse 5. And he has them to remember that they as a church, they collectively, individual blocks as you guys, individuals, yes, but being built up into this glorious temple of God. So what do you do? Will you live lives of holiness and purity before God? So then in verse 12, we see in chapter 2, verse 12, they live such good lives among the pagans so that they, when they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of His visitation. And then, next verse, go down one, verse 13, it's like He just jumps into submission. What? Like it, when you think about the flow of it all, it makes no sense. It's like almost this proverbial thing where it's you'll you'll in the proverbs you'll you'll have a, a, a proverb of, of obeying your masters and then not leaving your ox in a hole or something like that. You know, that's like they're not related whatsoever. And it seems as though that's what Peter's doing, but why would he then jump right into submission? So as you're reading your Bibles, remember, remember this always. Choice implies meaning. So don't just go, oh, he randomly did this. No, ask yourselves, why would he go from this, calling us to live lives of, of holiness and purity amongst everybody, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, and then, next verse, next sentence, the next word, submit. What does Peter communicate? So if you want to proclaim the excellencies of God that all that He has done through you, if you want to abstain from the passions of your flesh that are waging war against your soul, as you see in verse 11, what do you do? Then follow the path of submission. That's how you do it. So submission then, what Peter is saying, is the means by which you are able to display this glorious work of God is done in this upside-down kingdom of heaven that has now come to earth. It's done through submission. Not domination, not lording over people, but through submission. Okay, so then Peter, what about the ones that are actually prompting this letter to be written? What about the, the government that's oppressing the people? Surely you don't want us to submit to them, do you? Well, no, actually, then that's where he, he, he jumps right in. Over every institution 
whether king or supreme authority. Those, he's telling them to submit to the same government, the same authority that will eventually, in due time, take his own life, Peter's life, and crucify him upside down. So Peter starts broad, and then he starts getting a little bit narrower, and a little bit narrower. So he starts broad government, and then he goes to slaves and masters, and then he'll finish up and, and really hit home, talking about husbands and wives then, and how they are to relate to one another. So with all this in mind, let, let's go to our text here. Um, verses 18 through 20, and read these verses here. Verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with, with all respect and everything, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it and, and then you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, and in, in, in it you endure, this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So I hope you're beginning to see that Peter's making it very clear that your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. You've been purchased, redeemed, paid for by Jesus Christ. And your whole life is His. And so every way you relate to people must display the glory of the One who has redeemed you. So, servants... We are to be in subject to our masters. That is, we are to place ourselves under our masters. Not, not rebelliously. Not unjoyfully. There's, there's no, there's no condition here. You, you just do it. Be subject to your masters. And not only the gentle ones, not only the ones that are nice to you. If you're a nurse, not just the physician that cares to know your name, but the ones that are arrogant and boastful and prideful. Be subject to them. This, this idea of slavery. So throughout human history, our desire of all people, of all, of all humanity, our desire, remember go back to the garden, our desire to take authority from God and not commune with God, but to have authority over God, to be like God. This desire for dominion is not only us with God, but it's us with other people. So in every culture, at every time, there's been people who have lorded over others and caused them to be in subjection. And this horribly wretched way of life, especially in the Roman Empire, was rather common. So in the city of Rome, uh, well, in, in Italy, especially then in the city of Rome, about 40% of the people were slaves. 40% of the people were slaves. You get into the outer regions where this uh, letter would have been received, in, in Asia and everything like that, uh, it comes down to about 30%. But considering you know that the church has thrived historically amongst the lower classes, Christianity took off amongst the slaves. 
is where it's been the best received. And so it's quite feasible that 50% or more of the people hearing this letter written by Paul for the first time would they themselves would have been slaves. And here's a little picture as to, to how they were viewed. So you, you have a farm, and you have three types of tools. One is the dumb tools that, that don't speak. And that's your, your plow, your grinders, your axe, your shovels. They don't speak. Then you have semi-speaking tools, such as your horses, your cattle, your oxen. And then finally, you have speaking tools. Those are your slaves. Are they human? Whatever. No. They're, they're an agent of my commodity. That's all they are. So they can speak? Good. But that's how they were viewed in this time. And into this darkness comes Christianity and the Gospel. And it says, no, 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 no. You, slaves, everybody is made in the image of God. You and your life, you have, inherently you have value because you're made in the image of God. And it's not just the, the lords and the, the Caesars and the kings that are, that are made in the image of God, but you are as well. And you have been purchased and redeemed again by the blood of Christ. So you submit to the Almighty King. And the way to display that is to submit temporarily to the authority that is over you. Because eternally you will forever submit to the good and gracious King. So, why are they doing this here? Look in verse 19. Why, why are they to subject themselves to their masters? Look at the first couple of words of verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. What? This is a gracious thing. It's a gracious thing. When, you, when you're suffering and, and you have your mind upon God, not, not just suffering, not just submitting yourself to the, to the good, to the good masters, but also the ones that are unjust and unholy and wretched and display the sin day after day that you are trying to crucify in your own lives. They seem to live in it and love it. Even then, submit to them. This is a gracious thing. Keep going down to verse 20. This is a gracious thing. Repeat it twice. Let the reader understand. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So what's going on here? Peter is calling them to, to live a life that is living and eating from the hand of this sovereign God. That is what he is calling into, him into. So we know that Psalm 110, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that God has placed all things under His feet. He is in charge of all things. He rules over all things. And so then when we faithfully follow out and follow God, the will of God, regardless of the circumstance that He has placed you into, even if you're a slave, we're not just submitting then to our masters, but we are submitting to a sovereign God. You see the connection here. 
So then, then every action. This is the, the beauty in your life. Every action you have the opportunity to display the rule and reign of God in your own lives. Slaves, don't you want to do this? Well, yes, yes I do. You get to display that God is the ultimate king over all of creation. In every way that you interact and how you submit. In the way that you submit to the government who you know is going to persecute you. Submit to them. They're an agent of God. Submit. Slaves, I know. I know. Submit. Submit yourselves to your masters. So they're going, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. We'll be, we'll be in, in subjection to our masters. And so a direct, nearly direct application would then be to employees, subject yourselves to your employers and, and work hard. And that, that's, that's okay if we're just looking at verse 18. But we're looking at the whole span here. And Peter is going something Going somewhere entirely different. He's, he's opening up his, his horizons a lot further than just slaves and masters here. So do you see the looming question here? At the end of verse 20. You should be asking yourselves this. But, okay, so it's, it's a gracious thing to suffer in the sight of God. How could that be? Really? How could it be? How could it be a gracious thing when you endure suffering unjustly? And there is your sovereign God watching over you. You're doing this in the sight of God. You see in the end of verse 20. And, and this strikes a chord then that goes again beyond slaves and masters and into the realm. Why does God, why does our sovereign God allow us to suffer? Why? Why would He do that? And this is a commonplace for all of us. We're very susceptible in this time to then branch in here into bitterness and despondency or an anger towards God. But what does Peter do? How could this possibly be a good thing? Because it's the life of Christ. That's what we see in the life of Christ. So let's go back to the text here. Verses 21 through 23. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. whether Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So then why do we continue to do good while we are suffering? But this is your call. This is... This, this is for to this, verse 21, for to this 
you have been called. This is your purpose. This is what you've been drawn into. Is what Peter is telling them. You have been called into this. This is not some unfortunate circumstance. This is not just a random lot that's been given to you in your life. This is nothing that's just randomly befallen upon you. No, this is to the very thing that you have been called into. So the people reading this letter in the slave market, in Rome, you'd have these stones and you would stand on them and you'd be stripped nearly naked. And the buyers would walk by with their physicians and they would inspect you. The same way they would cap face. They would inspect you. And if you were for immediate sale, they would put white chalk and put it on your feet so everybody knew. And then when your number's called, you go onto the higher platform and you were auctioned off. You want to buy a human being? You can do it for several hundred dollars. That's what they're worth. To buy a human being. But Peter tells them, for to this you have been called. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> Peter, maybe you don't get it. I was sold to a different master than my wife. Get it. Peter says, to this you've been called. No, no, no. You, you don't get it. I did the right thing. I actually paid my taxes and I filed bankruptcy. No. Okay. You lost your business. But you did the right thing. No, no. I'm, I'm constantly passed over for promotion after promotion because I don't boast. And I try to remain humble and uplift other people at work. Good. But to this, you have been called. So notice, again, how Peter is broadening this out to this idea of, of general suffering. And you, you have been called to this. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you. So then you can follow this path of Christ no matter where it's going to lead you. You want to. You do. You want to follow Christ and follow in His footsteps. And it will bring you through suffering. But follow closely. And follow Him as close as you can. For you will follow Him and His death will be your death. And His suffering will be your suffering. But His resurrection will be your resurrection. His ascension back to the Father will be your ascension back to the Father. You want to follow Him there? Well, then you better follow Him here. You know where this will lead. You might not know the meandering route through suffering. Through joy and through sorrow. You might not know the meandering route, but you know that you will see God 
and you will, in due time, be held by Him eternally, and you will be safe in the arms of God. Follow Christ. So follow Him. It might seem pointless, but to this, again, you have been called. And it might seem as though it's, it's meaningless, as if there's this this God out there who's cosmically amused at the suffering of His people. And He gets somehow, He gets some delight when it just never works out. And it always fails. And you think, <laughs> are you enjoying this, God? Really? Is it, this is happening under your sight and this is a gracious thing? Really? This Look at Christ again. It looked pointless. It looked senseless. It was meaningless. So they thought, so it looked when He was stripped naked and hung on a cross. But it was not done in vain. It was done to the continual, eternal glory of God. So then, what what does it look like? To follow then in in the footsteps of Christ. Again, we're tempted to to be bitter, to be angry, to could shake our fist at God. But look at look at verse twenty two then. Christ, as our example, he did nothing, did nothing to to receive this suffering. Look in verse twenty two. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. We think that we're when we suffer, that's not our fault. We we think that we are without sin. But here is Christ. And He had right, the right to rebel against the circumstances. He did nothing wrong, but he, on Him was laid our sin. And so then verse 23, how does He respond? When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He, when he suffered, He did not threaten So go to the Gospels. Matthew 26. Verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses in this mock trial that's going on here? What do you think? He is worthy of death. He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit on his face. And struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you? Mark 15. Then the soldiers led away. Remember, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Mark 15. When the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the, the praetorium, they called together the whole company of soldiers. It's not just the religious elites, no, it's the soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they cried out, Hail, hail, King of the Jews. And again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on his face. And falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put on his own clothes, and they led him out to crucify him. 
under this suffering that is under watchful care of his heavenly father how does he respond he's on the cross he's being mocked not just religiously it's not just the soldiers but now the people who know him are walking by as he's up on the cross and he says to the father father forgive them for they know not what they do. So then, what is the key to following Christ? It's right here in the end of verse 23. He continued entrusting Himself. You can see this playing out throughout all of the Gospels. He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. So then here is the life of Christ. Fully dependent upon God. Laying His whole life, day after day, into the hands of His loving Father. In fact, He did nothing apart from the will of God. You see in John chapter 5. And the Father led Him, brought Him, called Him, as Peter would say of us, into this deliberate path of suffering. And for if, if He loves us as His adopted children through Christ, if He loves us as His adopted children, why would He give us anything different than He gave His own natural Son? His only begotten Son. His Son, He leads through suffering. Why would He deny us that? And so you see this progression that Peter is opening up to us. That slaves... Us? You? We're not entrusting ourselves then to just our earthly masters. That's, that's a, narrow, a narrow example of us fully laying ourselves into the hands of our sovereign God and following the Son, you see in the end of verse 21, that we might follow in His steps. So then, how do we do this? How do we see Christ doing this? Well, He's in constant communication with God the Father. Through prayer. Always always removing Himself that He might commune with God the Father. He's, he's in the Word. Well, He is the Word, so it's a little bit easier than, than we have it, but he's, he's in the Word. And He's serving people. The very things that, that we can also be doing. And perhaps... You've been listening. You've been tracking faithfully, but you're thinking to yourself, I'm, sounds great. Actually, things are going pretty well. And I'm, I'm not in a season of suffering. First, I'd like to say, I'm sorry that you're missing out on these formative seasons of your life. Secondly, I would say there is a no better time to begin entrusting yourself and laying yourself into the hands of your sovereign Father who will care for you and love you so that when the suffering comes and your bearings are completely thrown off, it is your natural habit and your routine to daily throw yourself at the feet of Christ and into the hands of your loving God 
that He will hold you and maintain you. When you know nothing else, when everything's a fog, you know that you are safe in the arms and the hands of God. So, before we move on, we've seen that we should be subject to our masters. Why? Because, verse 19, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When we, when we endure, not only the, under the, the good and the just masters, but also the unjust and the wicked. For this is to what we've been called. And we will follow in the steps of Christ. We have in the end of verse 21. And we do this by entrusting ourselves, in verse 23, to Him who judges justly. That is, to God. Now, lest you think it's all in vain, let's read the last two verses, and you can see this eternal fruit of suffering. Verse 24. He Himself bore our sins on in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseers of your soul. Again, lest you think that it's, it's not worth it. The suffering. If you're tempted to, to turn away these verses give a, a whole new paradigm, a whole new lens into this realm of suffering. To ponder this. Think about this. If you are fully entrusting yourselves into the hands of God and you suffer, is it a bad thing? Is it a bad thing then to suffer? To again, to answer this, let's look at the life of Christ. He Himself, He bore our sins in His body on the tree. Christ entrusted Himself fully, fully submissive to the Father. Did nothing apart from the will of the Father. And on Him, your wretched sins were laid. Your your pride, your lust, your gossiping was all laid on Christ. On Him, the the spotless Lamb. And you notice what Peter calls it. He was there, he saw it, didn't he? But he doesn't call it the cross, he calls it the tree. The cross of death is now the tree of life through which we have communion with God the Father. And all of this is done so that we might die, not just die under judgment, but that we might die to our sins that were laid upon Christ on that tree upon which He was cursed so that we could live and live for righteousness. By your wounds, by, by by his wounds, you have been healed. You see this contrast that's going on. He is dead that we might have life. We are we are alive, not and we 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 die, but we die to sin. And by his wounds, we have been healed. And this is 
Peter's interpretation of Isaiah 53, looking through Christ, interpreting Isaiah 53. You were straying like sheep, but now you have returned, and you've returned to the shepherd and to the overseer of your soul. So you clearly see, my friends, look at me, you clearly see this eternal fruit of suffering. It's laid up before you right here in the life of Christ. Is there any reason to doubt? Is there any reason to be bitter at God when you have the suffering in your own lives, when, you're, when you want to rebel and not submit to those in authority over you? No, you can entrust yourselves to the mighty, sovereign, loving hands of God as you follow closely in the steps of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we suffer greatly, but we can never say that we suffer unjustly. And I pray that You would humble us in our pride when we think that we are above suffering. God, I pray that we would suffer well, that we would follow so closely behind Christ, that we would follow in His steps, knowing that All of this is happening under your watchful care and that it is thus then a gracious thing. Our lives are not beyond your control. They are beyond ours. But they are not beyond your control. So God, we pray that through the suffering of your Son that you would draw us in. That we would be eternally secure under the Good Shepherd and under the good overseer of our souls. Amen.